So we continue our wandering, a wandering through the Psalms, a wandering through the Psalms. It feels like that. It's been so long. It's a good thing. Yeah, that's right. It's a good, it's a slow walk. Yeah, we're sauntering, sauntering, <laughs> hashtag sauntering. That's what I'm going to put on the page. All right, sauntering. We're sauntering through the Psalms. All right. Um, and this morning, we, uh, we step into Psalm 23, probably the most well-known psalm in the whole book of Psalms, maybe the most well-known passage in the whole Bible, Psalm 23. And I imagine most of you learned Psalm 23 not with the New International Version, but with the King James Version, right? So this morning we're going to do it. We're going to we're going to go old school, and then we're going to come back and come up with the come into the NIV. But I feel like when we hit Psalm 23, we got to start with the King James Version. So here we are, King James Version, Psalm 23. Here it is: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man. So let's do that from the NIV. There are a few changes in the translation here in the NIV, and we'll make note of this along the way, but we're really going to drive home two really big uh, categories coming out of this psalm, and it's going to have something to say to you and me today. It's going to have something to say. There's going to be application right out of this that I hope is going to encourage you and help you uh, and even me go into the week with with perseverance. I hope that's what we. I hope that's how we land, and it might have something to do with your dining room table. So here we go. Psalm 23. Read now the New International Version. The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a great psalm. It's a reason this has stuck around for so long, thousands of years. This has been a core scripture, particularly in times of distress and need. So we step into it. And the thing I want to notice right out of the gate is something different about it than anything we've seen up to this point. So Psalms 1 through 22, those, those 22 Psalms we've looked at up to this point, most of them fall within two categories. They do one of two things. Here they are. They do one of two things. They either are petitions. This is David asking God for something, often deliverance, right? We've seen this over and over again. Or we've seen David making a vow to praise God, saying something like, I will praise you. I'll praise you in the assembly. I'll praise you for your great acts. These two things have come up over and over again. Either David asking for something or saying he's going to praise God for some reason, something about God's faithfulness. 
And sometimes in, in, in one of the Psalms we've looked at, these things come together. But what makes Psalm 23 different up to this point is Psalm 23 doesn't do either of these things. Psalm 23 is simply a statement of trust. One commentator actually calls it the purest psalm of trust. There is no request in the psalm. It is simply a declaration of trust in God. No matter what, I trust God. And here are all the reasons. And David begins with a metaphor. We see the, right out of the gate this, this metaphor that's going to drive the first half of the psalm. He uses the metaphor of shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, he says that I lack nothing. In the NIV, it's I lack nothing. The King James said I shall not want. It, the King James is grabbing at what the NIV says more clearly. This idea of want, the King James translated I shall not want. It's not that you're not going to have any desires. No, we're always going to have desires. What's behind the Hebrew in Psalm 23 is the idea that you will always have what you need. You will always have what you need. If God is your shepherd, you will always have what you need. The NIV translates it, therefore, I lack nothing. Because if you are being guided by God, in the end, you do lack nothing that you actually need. You may not have everything you want. Actually, you, you most guaranteed you won't have everything you want. But you will have everything you need. And so David starts off with this metaphor. God is, the, the Lord is my shepherd. Very personal. And I'd have everything I need. And what does God provide David? Well, he then uses the metaphor shepherd and sheep, and he pulls on the image of a shepherd leading his sheep. And here's what he says. We'll highlight these four things coming out of that metaphor. What does God do? He makes me lie down. These are green pastures. He leads me, refreshes my soul. He guides me. This is what the shepherd does. The shepherd doesn't lead the sheep. He guides and He leads. He makes them lie down and He refreshes. This is what the shepherd will do. Now, we'll make note on this last one, this translation, the right path. The King James says, paths of righteousness. And the reason the New International Version translators go with right path is because paths of righteousness makes it seem like if you keep walking with God, then you will be righteous. And there is a moral, that is an ethical dimension to following God. But you also have this idea, maybe when you see passive righteousness, that you have to be good in order for God to keep leading you. And that's not what's going on here in the original language. Really what's happening is the NIV is grabbing at it, is that God will simply lead his sheep where they need to go. He will always make sure that they're on the right road. That's, that's really the base. The, the base translation here, God will make sure that his sheep will stay on the right road. Now, the opposite of being on the right road is being on the wrong road. And we know through the Psalms at this point that there is a crooked road. There are evil people who go the wrong way, often not even knowing how crooked the road they're on. David says, God, he will always lead me on the path that I should be on. Always. I'll never be on a road that I shouldn't be on if I'm following God. Take that to the bank. And so God ensures that his sheep are on the road they should be on. And they're headed to places that are good. There are green pastures. There are quiet waters. God is literally always sustaining his sheep. There will never be a road where God is not taking care of his sheep. He will make sure they're on the right road. That's what David's getting at. This is the metaphor of shepherd here. 
And so this is a powerful image of the shepherd. It's so powerful that you know it's going to show up in other places. When you have something this strong, it gets woven into the scriptures. Just a little later, another author of a psalm, the author Asaph, he will write this in Psalm 78. In 10 years, we'll get here. I promise we'll be at Psalm 78. Here's what he says deep in the psalm, Psalm uh, verse 52. Asaph says, but he, this is the God of Israel, he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. This is a deep metaphor the people of God have always held on to. God leads his people. Then later, uh, Isaiah. Isaiah will pick up the same image and he'll write this in Isaiah 40, verse 10 through 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I mean, this is almost a commentary on Psalm 23, right? Like, for the Lord to lead his people also has inside the metaphor surrounding the image is the idea of God gathering lambs in his arms, carrying them close to his heart. This is what a shepherd does. And you wonder, what's that shepherd going to look like? And then, all of a sudden, God the Son comes to earth. The incarnation, God in flesh. And God in flesh says this. John 10, verse 11 and 14, Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Who's this shepherd? Who's the shepherd that David so, so uh, declares his trust to? Uh, who, yeah, who's, who's the shepherd that Isaiah talks about holding the lambs close to the heart? It's Jesus. Jesus, I am that shepherd. I am the shepherd in flesh. And I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. They hear my voice. Now, years later, after Jesus has died, laid down his life and come back to life, ascended to heaven, the Hebrew writer is going to pick up the same metaphor to say something again about Jesus. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the Lord, the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, the great shepherd of the sheep. That's how we would describe Jesus. It's a very powerful metaphor. And it sits in the front half of Psalm 23. But then David does something in the second half. And this might help explain why you, you feel a, an abrupt shift in verse 5. Because David takes the metaphor and, he, in, and he, take, he takes what has been the metaphor of the shepherd and he switches it for the metaphor of a host. The host of a great banquet. And you can imagine in the history of Israel, there were many banquets where particularly um, banquets with the king, where the king would hold a banquet and the people of God would come in. Those that had been invited and they come into the room and David carries that image. This great shepherd who now he describes as host, the host has brought me in. And what has this host done? He has prepared a table in front of me. And as I walk into the banquet hall, as I come into the room, my head is anointed. And then he just fills my cup. It just, it just is overflowing. Same, this imagery is the same thing. It parallels with green pastures and quiet waters. 
God is going to provide for you. When you come into the banquet, don't you worry. The table will be set. It will be full. Everything you need will be on that table. He will anoint your head and your cup. It will overflow the brim. That's what the host does. And as you come into the banquet hall, if that wasn't enough, following behind you are two companions, David says. It's God's goodness. And it's His mercy. Now, you know what's behind that word mercy. The NIV translates it love. What sits behind that word love, the KJV, the King James translates it mercy. It go either way. It's the word hesed. It's that Hebrew word hesed that we so often keep coming back to. Because it's one of the most used words to describe God. It describes His covenant love. It means unfailing love. And so, as David comes into the banquet, a table full of everything he would need, his head anointed, he is accepted. His cup is literally overflowing. It's not like his, the back is unprotected. No, as he walks into the banquet, God's goodness and his hesed follow with him. He's literally hemmed in, behind, uh, in front and behind and on the side, David comes into the banquet. And he knows when he gets into the banquet hall, in the presence of God, that's where he will be forever and ever and ever. What an image. So two metaphors are driving Psalm 23. It's the metaphor of a shepherd, one who's guiding his sheep, and the host who brings David into the banquet hall, a table full of everything he would need, everything provided, head anointed, cup overflowing, and goodness and hesed. This love that never gives up on His people is following right behind Him. He'll dwell there forever and ever. It's just this declaration of trust. Now, if we left Psalm 23 there, and we moved right into application, we'd have this idea, right? That God is only with us, the table is only set, we're only standing beside quiet waters when life is full of unicorns and rainbows. Right? Everything is just always good. Right? I haven't said one bad thing yet. I've only talked about all the good things. You would think we're living in Disney World with the Fast Pass and you didn't even have to pay for it. Like, that's, what, that's where we're at. And if Disney's not the right image, you pick one, that's where we're at. I won't use a sports team because it'll go real bad for the season. So, but if Mark was here, I might, but he's not, so I won't. Um, so, so... Psalm 23 doesn't leave us there. It doesn't just leave us in the clouds when life is always perfect. It's not just simply green pastures and quiet waters. We're not just being refreshed. We're not just walking into a banquet hall with food on the table, cups overflowing, head anointed, goodness and hesed love following behind. That's not where Psalm 23 ends. Because when you lead sheep, there's always the risk of a wolf. And when you go to a party, there's always the risk of a party crasher. Always. That's why you never leave out verse 4. I'm going to read it in the King James. Here it is. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In the midst of green pastures and leading the sheep to quiet waters, the shepherd's going to take the sheep through some valleys. You're not getting 
You're not getting the green pastures without the valley. One commentator, it's a long explanation, but man, he brings out the image so well. So I want to read it for you. Here it is. One commentator brings this out. In search of grass and water, the flock must pass at times into and through the deep, rugged wadis. These are dry stream beds that are cut through the semi-desert hills by the river or by the winter rains. The air in the bottom of these wadis is heavy with the rising heat of the day. And the canyon depths are swathed in dark shadows as the rising cliff walls exclude the distant sun. At this moment of crossing the wadi floor, the pleasant scenes of green pastures and still waters, they seem far removed. There's no grass or water. The heat can be oppressive. And the whole flock must struggle up the, deep side, the, deep, uh, the steep sides of the canyon to resume its journey towards the next feeding place. The life with the shepherd is secure. His rod and staff will protect and guide. What an image. We love green pastures and we love quiet waters. No one likes the valley. But when you walk in life, you're going to go through a wadi. You're going to go through a valley. Now, interestingly, can we bring up verse 4 again? Bring up verse 4. So the King James translates this valley of the shadow of death, but the NIV says darkest valley. It's because in the Hebrew, it's actually shadow of shadows. That's the translation here. And so the idiom in the Hebrew is an image of death. Now, the NIV is trying to grab the dark element. The King James, which I think is probably more accurate, is grabbing how this feels like death. And have you not had moments like that where life really stinks? But the shepherd's still there. See, that's the thing. It's not like the the shepherd kicks the sheep over the cliff and says, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. He literally comes into the valley with the sheep to get them where they need to go because there are no airplanes and there are no bridges. There's a valley. But the shepherd's got a staff and he's got a rod and he will ensure you will have green pastures, you will have quiet waters. Don't you fear anything. Another commentator says it this way, right after that long quote, he says it more concisely. I like the way he says it. Even when the right paths bring the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no need to fear. The right paths at times need to go through the wadis, but God is still present. Nobody wants to admit that. Nobody wants to admit that sometimes you've got to go through a valley to get to the green pasture. No one wants that. What I love about this quote, what the commentator did is he made sure to bring our attention to the fact that just before David acknowledges the valley, he's just noted God leads his sheep on the right path. And when you and I go through a valley, we never think it's the right path. Never. We want to run as far away from inconvenience, discomfort, pain, suffering as we can. And part of that's rightly so. But when you're in a valley, don't you ever doubt that's exactly where God has you. Why? I don't know that. But we know God's with you. We know God's with you. The right paths will lead into the wadis. But God is with you. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? Can you get it here? I can get it here. Very hard to get it here. Very hard to feel that. The only way you can feel that is you take one more step. 
Then you take another one, and then another one. That's the only way you're going to get through the valley. Interestingly, when David switches the metaphor, right? It's not just a table, right? It's not just a table full of food with a head anointed and a cup overflowing. It's a table set before you, what? In the presence of my enemies. You see, there's that real key part there. Just as God will lead you on right paths, but you're often going to walk through a valley. When you eat at God's abundant table where everything is provided, you lack nothing. In this life, there will be a threat always standing nearby. It may be a person. It may be a government. It may be a diagnosis. It may be a chronic pain. But don't you ever doubt in the midst of all of the enemies, God is providing everything you need. Right paths, but don't you worry you walk through the valley. He is with you. And when He gives you a table full of abundance, you can guarantee He is there. Even in the presence of your enemies. Man, that is strong. Two metaphors. A shepherd and a host. And in both of them, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement that you have everything you need. Literally, today, right now, at 1040, half of that was me wanting to know what time it was. At 1040, you have everything you need. Your body may hurt, but you have everything you need. You may not think it's what you need, but good thing God is sovereign, not you. He knows what is good for you. You have what you need. It's a valley, and sometimes it's green pastures, but He is always with you. And you can be sure of that. And I think right there, understanding what David's doing here in this, the purest of Psalms, declaring trust to God in these two metaphors, shepherd and host, as he really deals with, with just real life, like real human life, I think that's where the application is. Like that's where it gets down to your life and mine. So here's how I want to word it in the application. Here it is. God is with us and leading us right where we are. You know why I want to make sure to mention right where we are? Because half of us are always living somewhere else. We're living, we're living out there when we finally get done with the master's degree. Way out there. I can't wait till it's done. Well, God's with you right here. Or, or if you have a chronic sickness, I can't wait till this happens. Well, no, pray for that to happen, but don't forget God is still right here. We do this, right? We always look for the green pasture and we can't wait to get there. Forgetting sometimes God's not over there because that hasn't happened. He's right here because this is now. God is always where you are, never where you are not. And so I think it's very important to remember. Now, there's, there's this one commentator, and usually I don't quote this long in the application from, a, from a, a, sca, a scholar, pastor. But man, what this guy says is so good. I want you to see it. Here's how he starts it. This way. Look at what he says. Psalm 23 shows us that dwelling in God's house does not mean some sort of translation out of our circumstances of pain. Instead, it means to dwell with God in the very presence of our enemies. It is possible, says David, to experience the gracious presence of God and to receive the abundance of life he offers in the midst of life as it presently is. With sinuses, 
rebellious kids, bad jobs, God is here in your presence. And then he goes on to say this, which I think really begins to get to the heart of it. We need to acknowledge to ourselves and to others that being in Christ does not mean that the troubles, cares, pains, and dangers of the world are simply removed from us. We remain in the presence of our enemies. We need to constantly remind ourselves day and night that God is setting a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Right? As you walk through the valley, as you walk through ordinary life, don't you forget in the midst of your enemies, God is with you and providing everything you need. And half the battle is simply remembering that. I think that's what what, what we're getting at. There is no magic pill, there's no magic formula, there's no wand I can wave. Literally, there's nothing that you and I can do today to walk out of here and everything be perfect. But what we can do is shift our thinking to literally have in front of our minds the reality that even when life really stinks, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. I have Like we need to literally be telling ourselves that. And you'd be amazed. Somehow God will work with that in a unique way for you. Okay, so you know who pulls on this same thread, right? Jesus' brother gets at the same exact thing. He reminds those early Christians who are facing troubles exactly how to understand their troubles. Check it out. The scripture we love to hate. James 1, 2-4. Consider it pure joy. You ever done that? I haven't done it yet. Haven't done it. Haven't faced the trouble and said, man, this is awesome. Never done it. But I hope with Jesus still working on me, I'm getting there. One day I'm getting there. But man, this is what we aspire to. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And well, let that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. What's that last part? Not lacking anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. James tells these early Christians, you keep going in the midst of suffering because it's doing something in you that will show you you lack nothing. Man. So what I think, when I think about, well, what could you and I do to help us get there? Again, I don't got a magic formula, but I think we could put something in front of our eyes that just keeps it in front of our mind. So I'm going to suggest this. Here's your next step. Something you and I can do this week. Put a sign on your table this week that says, He is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You don't have to believe it. You just need to say it or see it. Because your heart is going to catch up to your mind. Or at least your eyes. When you were walking in, you might have seen this, right? You might have seen this little thing. I decided rather than you remember all of that, I just printed it for you. Here it is. So take this and put it on your dining room table. Now, why table? Why table? You got ahead of me. I was setting it up. Okay, that's all right. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. The slide person doesn't always know the runway. Doesn't always know how long it is. Or that person's telling me, speed it up, one or the other. Um, 
so I, we, have a, we have a piece of glass that sits on our dining room table, so uh, we, we put that under the glass, and it's just sitting there. Now, Rylan asked me, he goes, is this going to be here forever, Dad? Because Are we ever going to actually take it out? I don't know. Maybe it'll sit there forever. I don't know. But it is like it's right in front of our eyes. Now, why table? Why not put this on your bathroom mirror? It's because it's, we want to tie it to Psalm 23. So when you sit down to eat at your table, you remember... Not only thanking God for the food in front of you, but you remember that God is setting a table for you that day, at that moment, with everything you need, even in the presence of your enemies. It's a great reminder. Use the table to remind you how God literally is going to be setting a table for you that day with everything you need, even if it's not what you want. He is with you. And so we just train the mind at the table. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. No matter how frustrated, how painful, how annoyed your life gets that day, you like nothing because he's your shepherd. Now, again, it's not going to solve the pain in your body. It's not going to take away the sadness of losing someone. It just doesn't do that. But what it does is it opens up space in the mind to be trained by the scriptures. And when the scriptures get inside the mind, the heart will follow. And so let's do it. Let's just remember all, throughout the week and maybe beyond, as you sit down to eat, that in the same way God has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It is a transforming power. It gives life. So may this reality that you are the good shepherd, may it literally transform us. We know in the end Jesus is alive, ascended, King of kings and Lord of lords. And therefore, for all of us within a hundred years, all will be well. There will be no more enemies in front of the table. There will be no more valleys. But until then, help train us and help us know the reality that no matter the valley, no matter the enemies around the table, you are with us and you're never going to let go. We pray that in the name of Christ. Together we say, Amen.